the next breath you take is God's gift to you. The next beat of your heart is God's gift to you. He doesn't owe you that. He gives it to you. It's a gift. It's a gift of life. Well, good morning. It is good to see you here this morning, and um, I can tell that probably one of two things have happened. Either folks haven't adjusted their clocks, and they're just waking up and thinking, I don't have time to get there now, or there's a lot of stuff going around, sickness and things, and that's pretty typical of this time of year. So we are delighted to have you present with us. I would uh, encourage you, not right now, but a little later today, make sure that you read this newsletter from uh, Chris Elliott. Uh, many of you will know Chris. He has uh, retired as the pastor over at the Knobsville Church, but uh, he is very, very active with the Great Lakes Ministry uh, there in Africa, uh, and he's been updating things. This is a fascinating letter and it talks a lot about the the farming and so forth and since we kind of live in that community you might find it particularly interesting so please take note of that but right now we're going to think about time time can we define time uh, not really not very well we can describe it and this is an interesting description of time or a perspective on time and uh, it comes to us from one of my favorite rock groups back in the 60s. Oh my goodness, yes. It was a group called Chicago. Uh, they started out as Chicago Transit Authority, but then the folks that run the buses and the, the L's out there, they got all excited and sued Chicago, and so they had to drop the Transit Authority stuff. Interestingly enough, though, they did try to use one of Chicago's songs without paying royalties to advertise Chicago Transit Authority. So, I don't know, that was kind of strange. But anyway, 1969, uh, the pianist of the group, Robert Lamb, wrote a song called, Does Anybody Really Know What Time It Is? Maybe you remember that, maybe you've heard that song. Uh, you can Google it this afternoon. Uh, it's it's a, a very insightful song. Now, None of those guys were believers. Uh, whether they've become believers since those days or not, I have no idea. But even unbelievers can capture a truth or can capture an idea that should cause us to think about the realities of life. Listen to the words of this song. As I was walking down the street one day, a man came up to me and asked me what the time was that was on my watch. Yeah, well, we always have to have a yeah in there, don't we? Yeah. And I said, does anybody really know what time it is? Does anybody really care? If so, I can't imagine why. We've all got time enough to cry. Now we're ready for the second verse. And I was walking down the street one day, a pretty lady looked at me and said her diamond watch had stopped cold dead. And I said, chorus, does anybody really know what time it is? Does anybody really care? If so, I can't imagine why. We've all got time enough to cry. Verse 3, I was walking down the street one day being pushed and shoved 
by people trying to beat the clock. Oh, no, I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, you always have those lines in there. You know, it's called Phil. I can't think of anything else. And I said, yes, I said. And then the chorus is done again. But underneath the chorus, if you listen very carefully, you hear this sub-chorus being said. People running everywhere. Don't know where to go. Don't know where I am. Can't see past the next step. Don't have time to think past the last one. Have no time to look around. Just run around, run around, and think why. And all that, while that's kind of a little undercurrent there, the group is singing, does anybody really know what time it is? Does anybody really care? If so, I can't imagine why. And now listen to the last line carefully. We've all got time enough to die. Hmm. Pretty insightful song, isn't it? It captures the, the frustration of time. It captures the uncertainty of time. It helps us to see that uh, life is not always a good time. Life is filled with crying. And life is filled with death. And it comes to us. We don't have to go looking for it. There's plenty of time for tragedy. There's plenty of time for heartache and sorrow and death. It's part of life, isn't it? Did you notice, though, that there weren't any answers in that song? A good statement of the problem, a good statement of the circumstances, but no help, no hope, no future. Just, we're all in this. We have some funny phrases about time, don't we? Do you ever think about how you use time in a, in a sentence? We've got all the time in the world. Or, oh, I've got some time to spare. Really? Do we mean what we say? How about this? Oh, he's just wasting time. Or here's another one. Yeah, I'm just killing time. Why? Why do we waste it? Why do we want to kill time? How about this one? Spending time. I'm spending time on such and such a thing. Yes, we are spending time. Time is something that we've been given. We have an unknown amount of it. And yet we are spending it constantly. How about this one? Time flies when you're having fun. I guess the other side is that time drags when you're not having fun. But is that really true? I mean, does, does time speed up and slow down? And here's one that I think is the most ridiculous phrase that I've ever heard. Time management. Are you controlling time? Do you manage it? Do you decide how much time there is in a day? I mean, are you in charge of time? It's an illogical statement. You and I cannot manage it. We cannot control it. We cannot take from it. We cannot add to it. All that we can do is control ourselves and how we use the time that we have. C.S. Lewis said this, the future is something which everyone reaches at the rate of 60 minutes an hour 
whatever he does, whoever he is. You've probably heard the phrase, time and tide wait for no man. And that is absolutely true. You can't run to catch up with it. You are in the midst of time, and time is moving, and it is moving forward. Time is not cyclical, okay? Now, there might be some cycles within our time, but time itself is moving forward. It is started back here, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, and it's moving toward an end. And you and I experience that in our own lives, don't we? We began at a point in time. We entered this world. We were born. And one of these days, we're going to leave this world. And it's all happening 60 seconds in a minute, 60 minutes in an hour, 24 hours in a day, 168 hours in a week. It just keeps right on going. So let's think about our stewardship of time. First of all, in Genesis 1-5, God created time. He is outside of time. He is above time. He is not constrained by time. But God created time. Did you ever think about that? It, it's like you know the fish being in the water. Does it know it's wet? We're, we're embroiled in time. And did you ever stop to think about time and what it is and how it got started and where it's all going? Genesis 1-5 says, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And you skip down to verse 14, it says, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of heaven, and let them divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs, and for seasons, and for days, and for years. God is the one who has created time. So when we say, I don't have enough time, are we complaining about what God has done? <laughs> or should we be admitting our own mismanagement? God's created it, and He has given it to us for our use. God is outside of time, however. The creature can't create itself, and time is a created thing. And so time did not create itself. God is outside of time. God himself is eternal. He is without beginning. He is without end. Deuteronomy 33 verse 27 says this, The eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. Now I like that in the context. I wish we had time to look at it. Moses is kind of preaching his last sermon here and getting the people ready to actually go into the promised land and he's reviewing the things that God has done and, and he reminds them, listen, God, the eternal God, is your refuge. All the gods of the nations are idols. All the gods of the nations are man-made. All the gods of the nations are not eternal. They're not even genuine. But God, Yahweh, is eternal. He is the I Am, the self-existent one. 
without beginning, without end. Paul was writing to Timothy and in his benediction there in uh, chapter 1, verse 17. He says, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. God is the eternal king. He's immortal. He never dies. He, he never comes to an end. In 1 John 5, 11, John says, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in His Son. If you and I are going to live forever, that ability to live forever is given to us through the Son who can give that. Because He is that. Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, is eternal, without beginning, without end. Time is God's servant. Time does God's bidding. You know, I think it's amazing. Some of you know my favorite constellation is Orion. And, and he's beginning to fade off here into the west, you know. It was, it was up in the east in the, in the early part of the fall and so forth and, and has already, at least when I get out there with the dog, you know, it's already past the, the central point and, and he's kind of fading over to the west. And before too long, we won't be able to see Orion anymore. There'll be other constellations that are in the sky that go around, well, we go around, they move too. Did you realize that you and I are inside a gigantic celestial clock? We are. Those constellations come around and become visible to us in the night sky on a regular basis. So much so that we can calculate their appearing and we can get it nailed down to within even seconds. Because we're inside of that gigantic celestial clock that God made. Now, you might be a skeptic and say, well, Roger, that's just because we happen to stand right here on the earth, but if we stood on Saturn, the sky would look very different, and if we were in a completely different solar system, the sky would look very different, and the constellations would... You're right. They would. And that's the way God designed it. He designed it so that this earth would be central to all the things around it. While the universe is vast and incredibly huge, and we can't even begin to comprehend it, God, who created this world and created the universe to support this world and to put man on here as his pinnacle of creation, designed the whole thing so that from this perspective, it would be exactly as it is. And that way we can, we can see. And there's constellations men mentioned in the Scripture. I guess you knew that. Pleiades, the seven sisters, is mentioned. Orion is mentioned. The, the, the Big Dipper, the Great Bear, is mentioned. You know, there's, it's not that the Bible is a book of science, but when it talks about stuff, it's scientifically accurate. It's correct. We're inside of this clock. And time is God's servant. In Genesis chapter 15, 
God says to Abraham, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that's not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them, here's a reference to time, 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they will come out with great possessions. The fulfillment of that is in Exodus chapter 41. Abram's long dead now. But it says it came to pass at the end of the 430 years. You say, no, wait a minute. 430 years. How come Genesis says 400 years? Well, the Genesis account is talking about the affliction. You remember they went down into Egypt under Joseph's administration and they lived there and they weren't afflicted. They weren't enslaved. They, they enjoyed some good times under Joseph. God was focusing on the years of affliction, of slavery, of oppression. And then it goes on to say, on that very same day, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. God was right on time to the very day. He fulfilled his promise to Abraham because time is God's servant. When God says something's going to happen at such and such a time, guess what? It happens at such and such a time. Time is not bigger than God. It may be bigger than you and me, but certainly not bigger than God. In fact, Jeremiah uh, prophesied, God gave him this wisdom, that the nation of Israel would be in captivity for 70 years. And sure enough, Daniel, there in captivity, one day, although he was very much elevated in the, the Babylonian kingdom, he was reading in the book of Jeremiah, and he discovered, hey, 70 years looked at his watch, time's almost up. And he started praying. Because he was wondering, okay, God, you said 70 years, what's next? What's next on your time schedule? What's the next event in time that we should be looking for? And God gave Daniel some amazing revelation in reference to his prayer. We'll look at that another time. Hmm, another time. Time is, I'm glad you got that. You're paying attention. Time is God's gift to us. Look at Psalm 139, verse 16. It says, You saw my substance, my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Hmm. God knows how much time you have. You don't. Neither do I. I mean, maybe if, if I am like some of my other Myers relatives, I will last and go strong into my 90s. But I could drop dead today because genetics is no guarantee. How much time do you have? Ah, we're just young. We're 8, 9, 10 years old. Life is ahead of them, right? Really? You got the guarantee? God knows how many days we have. God knows our time. We don't. We can anticipate. We should prepare for lots of time. But 
we should not do it in a way that presumes God owes it to us. Or that we can be assured of having that many number of years that we think we are due. Scripture tells us that the age of our years is threescore and ten, that's 70 years. Or maybe if by strength 80 years, Psalm 90, yet their labor is just sorrow and soon flies away. And that's the average. In order to get an average, you need some that are above it and some that are below it. Who knows how much time we have. God does, and it is His gift to us. In Genesis 25, verse 7, we were just looking at this in Sunday school, the, the, probably the English Standard Version has one of the best translations of this. It's talking about the length of Abraham's life. And it talks about the fact that, that God was there. These are the days, he says, all the days of all the years of Abraham's life. The emphasis is on each day. Now, he lived for 175 years. That's a lot of days. And God was there with Abraham. That was his gift to Abraham. And he was with Abraham in the midst of all of those days. And Abraham used those days, hopefully, to honor God. Some of those days, as you read Abraham's life, he got it right. And we rejoice. And he was on the mountaintop. And some of those days he got it wrong. And he was down in the valley. And we learn a lesson from him. Don't do this. <laughs> Don't be like Abraham here. All the days of all the years. Beloved, all the days of all the years that God gives you are his gift to you. I've said it before, though probably not recently, that the next breath you take is God's gift to you. The next beat of your heart is God's gift to you. He doesn't owe you that. He gives it to you as a gift. The gift of life. The gift of time. So what should our stewardship of time look like? If I'm a steward of this, how's it going to work? Well, remember, stewards are invested primarily with something on behalf of another. And they're given three things. Trust. God has given you a lump of time. He's trusted you with that. He's given that to you. And he's given you the authority to make some decisions regarding that time, that gift. You know, we, we make decisions, don't we? We get up in the morning and we say, today I'm going to do this, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to get up and I'm going to go out and run five miles, you know. And then the rest of us just pull the covers over our heads. Should we get out and run five miles? Well, maybe we should. Maybe five miles is too much. Maybe a good brisk walk for 45 minutes would do just as well and be easier on the joints. I don't know. We all have to make those decisions, don't we? God has vested us with certain authority to take the time that we have and make decisions about how we will use our time. The third thing is that he's given us responsibility. In other words, we're going to give an account to him of all the days, of all the years, 
that God's given us. How did we use them? Did we use them for God's glory? Did we use them for the good of others? Did we use them just for our own selfish interests? Did we waste time? Did we kill time? Did we abuse time? What did we do with the time that God gives us? Look with me in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 here for just a minute. I'm sure you had your devotions in Ecclesiastes. It's one of the most popular books of the Bible. That's a joke. You, you can laugh. At Ecclesiastes is probably one of the more neglected books, okay? Because it starts out, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. In other words, you know, everything is a waste. It's, it's a disaster. The key to understanding the book is the little phrase, under the sun, because yes, apart from God, just living life as though God didn't exist, right here under the sun, uh, life is kind of meaningless. It's kind of purposeless. It, it's, it's a disaster. And everybody just goes through experiences and then they drop into a hole in the ground at the end and that's the story. But when you look at it from God's perspective, life takes on a whole new meaning. And so, uh, so uh, yeah, who wrote it? Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes. Look what he says in chapter 7. He's thinking about this. A good name is better than precious ointment. Your reputation is more important than the stuff you have. And the day of death, and you can substitute the word better or add the word better in there because that's the parallel thought. A good name is better than precious ointment. The day of death is better than the day of one's birth. Why in the world is that true? Why would that be the case? Well, we'll talk about that. It says, better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that, the house of mourning, is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. Here's why the day of one's death is better or can be better than the day of birth, because if you take all those days of all those years in between birth and death and you use them wisely, you use them well, you use them for the glory of God, guess what? When you die, and everybody will, you will hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. And it's an entrance into eternal life. But if you have wasted all of that time, if you have neglected God, if you have spurned God, if you have satisfied only yourself, if you have spent all of your time in frivolity, guess what? The day of your death is not better than the day of your birth because then you stand before Almighty God and He is your judge and consigns you to the lake of fire forever. If we live wisely, if we live well, if we live according to the Word of God, then when our time on this earth is finished, and we are then ready to, to, to leave this earth. We call that death, don't we? We're ready to leave this earth and enter into God's presence. It's not something to be feared. Because we've lived with wisdom. We've lived with faith. We've lived according to, to God's Word. 
That's why we need to have the proper perspective on time. Psalm 139 verse 16 says this, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and they were written in your book all the days that were fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. God gives us our number of days for a good purpose. Whether that number is many or few, God wants us to live in light of His Word. God wants us to live in a right relationship with Him so that when we get to the end of those days, we can come into His presence and be received by Him and be welcomed by Him and be rewarded by Him for our good stewardship. Psalm 90 encourages us to live our lives in wisdom. Verse 10 says this, The days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength they're 80 years, yet their boast is labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Here's a prayer that each one of us can pray as soon as our eyes pop open in the morning. And it's this. God, show me how to use this day well. Show me how to use this day to bring glory to you. Show me how to use this day to live a life of obedience to you. God will answer that prayer. God will give us that wisdom. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and doesn't withhold. I like the King James Version. Upbraideth not. <laughs> I like doesn't withhold. <laughs> Makes a little more sense. God gives us wisdom to live each and every day. But you know what most of us do in the morning when we pop awake? We get up and we're thinking about the job. We're thinking about the coffee. We're maybe in the reverse order. We're, we're thinking about all the stuff that's before us that we've got to do. And we don't think about God. We don't wake up and say, God, thank you for the night's rest and a new day of life. We just, we just forget. We get so accustomed to the, the constant movement of time that we don't even realize that it's getting away from us and we have less of it now than we did when we sat down here in this room 50 minutes ago. Time is going and going and going and going. Many of you know that there's a, a grandfather clock in the parlor which is right next to my office. And when I think to wind it up, I get to hear the chimes every quarter hour. But sometimes you get to concentrating and I don't even hear the chimes. They sound... They go to do their little ding, 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 ding. You know, they do their little thing. But I don't even hear them. Why? 
because I'm so busy. I'm concentrating on other things. And that, beloved, is our problem. You and I are so busy concentrating on all the other stuff of life, which is important, but we are neglecting to hear the march of time and the passing of the days that God has marked out for us. We just don't hear it. And then, one day it's our last day. And it comes to us as a shock. Because we haven't thought about it. That's why Solomon says, it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. Because guess what? Everybody's going to come to their end. You want to feast? Wait till we get to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That'll make any feast that we've had here pale in comparison. There'll be no comparison. Don't worry about the feasts. Worry about that last day. And use each day wisely. In Romans chapter 13, Paul is admonishing the believers there, he says, and do this, knowing the time, that it is now high time to wake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly, as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Here is our purpose. This is what we should be doing every single day of our lives, and that is living today in light of eternity. Living today realizing that, that I have a responsibility to God. I was, when I was unsaved in my ignorance, and time was passing by, and I was on that fast freight train to destruction, God intervened. And now, as a believer in Christ, I'm on my way to eternal glory. I need to live today and tomorrow and next week and next month and next year, if God gives it to me, for His glory, not for mine. Time is not about me, it's about God. It's about my stewardship of what God has entrusted to my care. Paul says to Titus in chapter 2, verse 11, that we're to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. And we're to live sensibly, righteously, godly, looking for the blessed hope. I think that's the rapture. And the appearing of the glory, I think that's the return of Christ with his church. Those should be the things that we're structuring our time about. Yes, we have to go to work. We've got to pay all the bills and do all those things. And in our work, let it be done with such quality and such thoroughness that people see it and say, wow, you, you are an amazing worker everybody else kind of sloughing off but but you're not doing that you're giving it your very best why is that why don't you 
stand around at the water cooler and waste time like everybody else. How come you're... And you can tell them, because God has entrusted me with time and I want to make the best use of it. I don't know how much I have, but I don't want to waste it. I mean, in all of our activities of life and everyday family responsibilities, work responsibilities, school responsibilities, all of those things should be done with the understanding that I am moving toward that moment when I will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and I will give an account to Him for the time that He has given me, for what I've done with it. So that really, all of life is a stewardship from Almighty God. Join me in 2 Chronicles chapter 32. I know we don't get back there very often either. Kings and Chronicles are kind of a mystery to us. They go back and forth. They talk about people in places that we're not as familiar with, maybe as we ought to be. Quite honestly, I did not discover, and I've, I've read Chronicles. I've read the Bible through numerous times. I've read Chronicles. You know, I had my Old Testament introduction class. It wasn't until sometime last year that these couple of verses just leaped off the page in my thinking. And I want them to do the same thing for you. I can't make them do that, but I, I hope they will. You remember King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah was a good king. It was under King Hezekiah that there was a, a real period of revival there. They found the book of the law right there in the temple. It had been buried under all the stuff. And Hezekiah, when he was just eight years old, came to the throne. He cleaned house. He got things back in order. He got the sacrifices reinstituted the way they should be. He was doing all kinds of stuff. And, and Sennacherib, the great Assyrian monarch, came up to Jerusalem and was going to destroy it. And, and Hezekiah did the right thing. He prayed, he went to the house of God, he consulted with Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah says, it's, it's okay, Hezi, uh, this isn't going to end badly. And it was Hezekiah who got to see God deliver Jerusalem and the, the, the Judah, the kingdom of Judah. One night, one angel of God came and killed 185,000 Assyrian warriors. Got up the next morning, problem solved. Threat diminished. Hezekiah was also that fella to whom Isaiah went and said, you need to put your house in order because you're going to die. Right almost at the very same time of that great deliverance from the king of Assyria. And Scripture says that Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and he wept and he pleaded with God before Isaiah got out of the courtyard, God says to him, Isaiah, you go tell Hezekiah that I'm going to give him 15 more years. 15 more years. What a great blessing, right? I mean, there the guy is on the brink of death. And God says, Hezekiah, I've seen your repentance. I've seen your contrition. I've seen your... Hezekiah, I'm going to bless you with 15 more years of life. Now, if God did that for you, 
you would be so grateful, wouldn't you? You'd take those 15 years, and boy, you'd use them for the glory of God. You'd probably go out on the mission field somewhere, the deepest, darkest place in the world, and you'd, you'd start preaching Christ. I mean, to be delivered from death like that and given 15 years. Look with me at Second Chronicles 32.24. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death, and he prayed to the Lord, and he spoke to him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not repay according to the favor shown him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore, wrath was looming over him and over Judah and Jerusalem. God blessed him with more time And what did Hezekiah do? He allowed pride and self to come in. It was during this period of time that the next king was conceived, or shortly about this time. His name was Manasseh. And he was one of the cruelest, most wicked most ungodly kings that Judah ever had. Now it is true, and this is a picture of the mercy and grace of God, that ultimately Hezekiah, or excuse me, Manasseh, this wicked, vile king, came to know the Lord. And that was wonderful. That was tremendous. But Hezekiah, or uh, Manasseh was no godly king for the vast majority of his 52-year reign. I wonder, I'll never know until I get to heaven sometime, and maybe then I won't even be told, but I wonder how things might have been different if Hezekiah would have recognized and not forgotten that God blessed him with 15 years. If he would not have become prideful, if he would not have become self-centered. Later on, when emissaries from this little backwater town called Babylon came to, to, to rejoice with Hezekiah that his God had given him such favor, Hezekiah decided, hey guys, you want to see how great my kingdom is? Huh? You want to see? I'll show you the whole thing. Took him to the armory. Took him to the treasury. Took him to the temple. Took him to the palace. Took them everywhere. Showed them everything. Isaiah comes up to him a little bit later and says, um, who were the guys that came? Oh, they were emissaries from Babylon. What all did they see while they were here? Oh, I showed them everything. I showed them the glory of my kingdom, the splendor of it all, the whole thing. And Isaiah says to Hezekiah, guess what, Hezekiah? They're going to come, and everything that they have seen is going to go off to Babylon. And they are going to conquer you and lead your people into captivity. But God didn't do it in the days of Hezekiah. He did it later for the sake of his servant David. But oh my, if Hezekiah would have 
not allowed pride to come in, what would he have done with that extra time? What would he have done with the blessing God gave him? Here's the thing, beloved. God has given us time. I don't know if he's given you any extra or not. I can think of a couple places in my life when I probably should have died. And God spared me. And that's why this verse haunts me. Because I don't want to fail. And so often I do, but I don't want to fail in giving God a good return for the favor that He has shown me. Beloved, if you and I can get that concept in our minds, our lives will be vastly different. We will start living for the glory of Jesus Christ. We will start living out of love for what God has done for us. And, and we will not get sidetracked and trapped in the stuff of this world but we will realize that, that we are moving along this continuum of time which God has created and which He has given to us as His gift and of which we are stewards. And one of these days, we are going to stand before Him when we get to the end of our time and we will stand before Him and we will give an account. And beloved, I want to give an account where I don't have to be ashamed. And I suspect that's true for you. But if we don't get focused on this, it'll never happen. You know, it's, it's like so many other things in life. If you don't give it attention, if you don't work at it, if you don't put time into it, it'll never change. So how are we doing with our stewardship of time? What could we accomplish if we had the mindset that we want to give God a good return for His gift of time to us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I stand before You this morning guilty because I have not always, I have not always been a good steward of the time that You've given us. When Jesus walked this earth, He told us, He showed us that there was a balance, a balance of work, and there was a balance of time to, to come apart and to rest and be refreshed. And You've built that into even the work week. In six days we are to labor, and on the seventh we are to consider that as a day of rest to the Lord, to think about the great concepts of creation and redemption and to worship You as Creator and Redeemer, to be refreshed in our souls. Lord, we are so bad. We are so bad at managing ourselves in relationship to time. We fill up the days with stuff that's important to us but may not be important to You. So Lord, bring conviction to our hearts. Strengthen us that we might be able to change. Help us to learn from that tremendously convicting verse about Hezekiah. 
Lord, we want to give You a good return for the trust, the stewardship that You've given to us. Help us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.